We will be in the book of Mark, chapter 9, if you want to head that way. As you go there, let me, uh, let me just uh, champion these guys up here. Uh, like, not too long ago, we were like, oh, there's, there's a scheduling conflict. We don't have anybody to play the drums. We've got to change everything. And so uh, just to have uh, that kind of talent, not only with this group, but just everybody that's up here every week uh, to be able to change the plan, come up with something else, uh, try to do experimental things, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then these guys using their gifts uh, week after week. It's just a privilege to uh, work with them and uh, just celebrate them and what they bring to the table. And so um, it's often hard to get up after some of these moments where we're singing songs like we've sung this morning. I mean, like, what do I have to bring to the table? Uh, and the good thing is, what I had to bring to the table is this, right? So uh, it's not that I bring anything. Um, so we've been going through Mark, uh, just one story at a time, and uh, this particular passage we get to today is, is connected to the ones before it. And so, you know, in our, our Bibles, it's broken to paragraphs, and there's uh, section, you know, descriptions on the top of it, but that's all been added later on. It's, it's really this, this continuous work. And so uh, I want to start back in verse uh, 33. To kind of get a running start into the text for today, just to give a little bit of context. So let's start there, and uh, we'll work our way forward. This is Mark 9, starting in verse 33. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, okay, uh, this is Jesus. Uh, when he, Jesus, was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? Uh, but they kept silent, for on the way, they, this is his disciples, uh, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Awesome, right? Um, and he sat down and called the twelve. So after them kind of, conf- they didn't really confess, they were silent, but the Spirit showed him what was going on. So he gathers them together, calls them, and he says this. He says, if anyone would be first, or in other words, the greatest, he must be last of all and servant of all. So he, he takes their understanding, their, ex, their uh, definition of greatness, as they're talking about who's the greatest, and he, uh, he doesn't turn it upside down, he actually sets it right side up. They had the upside down understanding of greatness uh, because they were born into this broken world of ours that defines it incorrectly. And so Jesus takes that up, upside down definition and sets it right side up for them. And then he says, uh, then in verse 36, it says, He took a child, put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such in my name, such child in my name, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not only me, but him who sent me. And what that, what that means is, see, children were often overlooked and ignored in this, in this culture. They were, not a, they were not a big deal. And so uh, what he's doing is he, um, Jesus has this incredible gift of finding something around him to use as a teaching point, as an illustration. And so when he's on the Sermon on the Mount, he's on a hillside and he's saying, look at those birds. They're not worried about what they're going to eat. Look at these flowers. They're more beautiful than anything that humans can create. You know, like, so he's using things around him. So there's a kid there. He takes the kid and says, uh, even all the, all the way to the most overlooked among us. This is who you should be serving. You should, you should receive them into your lives. Uh, not, so not only your family, but all the way to the margins of society. He's speaking to people that had a very, um, it was a, a, 
they really like it was very um, layered in terms of who they thought was important. And so he's saying you really should have no no layers among you. Everyone is important, all the way down to this little child. And so then one of the disciples in verse thirty eight tries to change the subject. John says to him, "Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't he was not following us." So clearly, uh, they're, they're not really catching on to it very much. Um, but Jesus said, don't stop him, for, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Basically saying, we're, we're on the same team here. Like, if he's, if he's using my name, then it doesn't matter if he's one of my 12 or not. Like, we're, we're, there's about something bigger than you guys. Um, and he says in verse 40, for, for the one who's not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will my, by no means lose his reward. So from the most grand gesture all the way down to the simple offering of a cup of water, uh, this, this is how we are to serve one another and to be served. And so to kind of pull all that together, he's saying put, put others ahead of yourself. In the big ways and the small ways, from the closest relationships all the way to the margins of your society. He's, he is creating a new understanding of community. Uh, a, new, a new definition of, of what it means for a, peop, a, a people group <clears throat> to truly be great and have an impact on the world. They are used to thinking in terms of Rome and power and authority and military might and money and all those kinds of things. And he's saying, it isn't about that, it's actually about this. You've learned it incorrectly, upside down, I'm here to set it right side up. <clears throat> so with all that in mind, then we get to verse 42, which is our text for today. And I'm going to warn you, this is a tough one. This is not one I've been looking forward to uh, having to figure out. But now, now that I've gotten into it a little bit more, it makes more sense. And so hopefully it will to you as well. But let's just read it and let it, let's let it give you the old gut punch real quick. Um, verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone, so a giant, just a big old rock, was hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. <laughs> Are you sure that was written in red? Okay. Doesn't sound like Jesus, but he said it. Then, verse 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands uh, to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes only to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Okay, what in the world? Uh, so... Uh, let me let me kind of offer a few a few things that I that I learned in studying a couple of these things specifically that that are going to kind of maybe op- open it up a little bit more. The f- the first thing um, he uses the phrase like, "causes to sin" four times. Uh, if you cause a child to sin, if your if your hand causes you to sin, if your foot causes you to sin, if your eye causes you to sin. Uh, so what is it, what exactly does that mean? Um, 
I looked it up, and I kind of like this part. The Greek word for that is scandalize. So you can, if someone was ever like trying to tempt you to sin, you'd be like, what's scandalizing me? And then you're being bilingual, which is pretty cool. Um, that Greek word, it means, it means cause to sin, but it also it has a, a number of different ways to translate it into our language. So it means cause to sin. It means cause to stumble. Uh, cause to fall away. Uh, to offend. To slip up. To get in God's way. To distract from God. So when I first read cause to sin, I'm kind of like, I, I tend to go toward like big, like Ten Commandment things, you know, like um, if your hand causes you to murder, then cut it off. Like I, I go that way, but it's really, it's a lot more wide than that. He's not only talking about like some of the, you know, top ten type things. He's, he's talking about like if, if, if you cause one of these young ones to to stumble, to get distracted from God, to, to slip up. If something in your life causes you to be distracted from what God's doing and slip up, then you need to deal with it, that, that kind of thing. So the first thing I think that will help us understand it is it's not just cause to sin in terms of like some of the big offenses. We're really talking about anything that is, uh, that is coming short of what God has for us, the big stuff and the small stuff. So... Um, don't, we don't need to think of this in like legalistic terms as we read it. It's easy to wonder, like, what is it? Is this on the list? Is this on the list? Is this on the list? Like, um, like I need to know what he means. It's too broad, and Jesus is intentionally vague a lot of times because that way it fits all of our lives, you know, in, in really important ways. So that's the first thing. Causes to sin means it causes us this wide understanding. The second thing is related to that because he keeps saying uh, if something causes you to sin, it's, it's better to, to cut it out and not be, not basically not go to hell. Or not drown, but we'll get to that in a second. But like, not go to hell. And so hell is like, this is the first time we've come across this in the book of Mark. Um, and so I was like, okay, let me figure out what that's going on. So he uses that three times. And um, the word that he uses is, uh, it's Gehenna, and it has, it in the city of Jerusalem, they, uh, on the south side of the city, there was a valley called the Hinnom Valley. And uh, in the Old Testament time, that valley is where some of the pagan cults that practiced child sacrifice, that's where, the, that's where that would happen. And uh, so a lot of darkness in this particular, in, in Gehenna. And, uh, and then it, over time, became the, like, all the things that you don't want in your city end up in this place. It was not only the garbage dump, it was also the sewer, it was also the morgue. I mean, it was everything gross went there. And um, like a lot of cultures still do, they just, they burned their trash in order to like keep it reducing. And so it was this perpetual fire in this valley. And they're just constantly throwing trash in there and it's consuming. And so it was this like, this pit of burning fire where everything gross and disgusting in your city went to it. And that became the, like, the picture of, uh, of like final judgment for those who reject God. That became their concept of hell. And so he's using that, uh, he's, he's connecting them with, an, with kind of their understanding of what's going on. What he, but what he, he isn't doing is he's not, this is not like a mini sermon on the, the theology of the afterlife. 
This is not a mini sermon on can you be a Christian and then you mess up and then you end up going to hell by mistake. This this is this isn't one of those like big like hell sermons. He's he's doing something else with it. So we don't need to get obsessed with the like if then like language that he's using. He's doing something in a literary sense that would have made sense to them, and it's a little bit different to us. And so we don't need to obsess over the hell, heaven, hell part of it, and oh no, I, 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 met, I slipped up, therefore now my eternal destination has changed. Let's just push all of that to the side. That's not what's going on here. There are other places where we can talk about those things in the Bible, but this is not, this is not one of them. So um, the, thir- the third thing is, is kind of out of nowhere, he starts talking about salt. You know, he's like, cut this out, or it's be, it'd be better to have this out of your life than, than hell. Better this out, this and this. And he's like, and we're all going to be salted with fire. I'm like, okay, that's, that doesn't even seem to make sense. Something that, uh, that I learned for the first time, uh, one thing I knew, one thing that was new. One thing that I knew is that salt is a preservative. Uh, been, they use it to preserve meat and all that kind of stuff. And so that was a very common use back then. Um, so preservation is a, is a part of what happens whenever they think of salt. There's another thing uh, that whenever they would bring animals to be sacrificed at the temple, like uh, in terms of like being a faithful like Jewish uh, follower of Yahweh, um, you would bring the animal sacrifice and they would salt it as a part of the sacrificial like thing that was going on. So to them, salt was not only a preservative in the kitchen, but it was a part of what it means to sacrifice something to God. And so those, those three things are very, very important. Sin as a, as a wide, a wide definition of what he's talking about. Um, it not being about hell in terms of like, he's not trying to make a theological point about the afterlife and he uses salt to trigger both of those things, preservation and sacrifice. So with all that in mind, what in the world is Jesus saying here? Here's, here is how I would summarize it. Um, Here's just, just one sentence that we'll, I'll kind of build on. It's worth it to sacrifice for the sake of holiness. It is worth it to sacrifice for the sake of holiness. We have to be willing to cut things out of our lives. That's what he is telling them. In the context of him redefining not only greatness, but interpersonal relationships. He's redefining community, and he looks at them and he says, you have to be willing to cut stuff out of your life. If it's making you stumble, if it's making you slip up, if it's distracting you from God, if it's causing you to sin, you, you got to cut it out of your life. It's worth it to sacrifice those things for the sake of holiness. And the reason he's using this language, it is a literary device that we would call hyperbole. He's using these extreme examples to, to make a point. And so that, I believe, is his point. And it's worth it to sacrifice for the sake of holiness. He's showing them how to live with, with him. Like, he's showing us what life looks like toward God and toward one another and toward yourselves. And so we're going to go through those three. To God, to one another, to ourselves is a kind of application of this. Uh, the first one, to God, uh, anytime we're talking about being like, that is worth it to sacrifice, uh, 
for holiness, it, it's all to him. Like it's, it's, in a, it's a, an obedient step. It's, it's an expression of our love to God whenever we are looking at our lives and we're saying, what, what has got to go? What is messing me up? Um, the passage is, it's very interpersonal. It's very horizontal and it's, it's self-reflective. And Jesus here doesn't talk about God like it's to the Father, but a lot of scripture does. And I just thought it would be worth kind of getting that foundational thing in there, you know, um, that before we build in terms of relationships and, and self-awareness, uh, just that understanding that all of this is about obedience and love for who God is. Um, so just kind of get that foundation in there. So let's look back at verse 42. He starts off, this is, this is kind of the one another part of it. Look at 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck or thrown into the sea. The one thing that's interesting is there's, there's a lot of discussion about it. Is, is he talking about the same child that he was holding previously? Or is he referencing... Uh, just young believers, like young followers of himself. And there's debate back and forth. And the best answer that I saw over and over again is that he probably means both. He's probably talking about those who are vulnerable in life and in their faith. So little ones could be someone who's been following Jesus for like six minutes, you know, or it could be an eight year old, you know, it could go either way. And most folks just said, let's, let's just think of it in, in terms of, of both. Because Jesus is, he's such an advocate for the vulnerable that this makes, makes a lot of sense. And so, bottom line is, uh, well, my big question is like, is he really saying what I think he's saying in verse 42? That it would be better for that person to uh, be tied to a giant rock and thrown into the sea. It seems that that's what he's saying, yes. Uh, it does, no one pretends to be like, oh, that's, that's easy. Here's what he really means. Everyone that I've read has been like, nope, that's just a, one of those hard things that he said that we, maybe we can ask him one day to explain it, or maybe he'll just be like, just trust me. I'm, I'm, I know what I was saying. I, who knows? But it does seem like that he is saying that, and he's using hyperbole to make a point. And what's the point? He really is passionate about the vulnerable, like deeply, deeply passionate about the vulnerable. Um, and that's a, that's a beautiful thing, really. He's saying this really beautiful thing. And while it is a hard saying, we see how Jesus wants to protect those who are young and vulnerable. He wants to protect them from our carelessness. Those of us who are, who are not as young and not as vulnerable so we're not as young in maybe like it may be maturity and age, but also not as young in our faith. He wants to protect the, the new believers from the old believers being careless. He wants to protect uh, those who are vulnerable and struggling from those who are not so vulnerable and are not so struggling. The carelessness that can happen. He wants to put a, like a shield of protection toward them. To the point where he's like, I'd just, rather, I'd, just, I'd just rather protect them from you in this way. And so to tie to the full passage, when I said earlier, it's worth it to sacrifice for the sake of holiness. You could put this in there. It's worth it to sacrifice for the sake of someone else's holiness. 
They can be, they can be a child. They can be a new believer. They can be someone who's just struggling with life because life is hard. Um, it is worth it for you to sacrifice to protect them. That is how we avoid being careless is by being willing to cut things out of our own lives for their sake. That's what he's telling us to do. That is what the new definition of community looks like. It's here we are interconnected, and I, am abs- I have to be absolutely willing to cut something out of my life if that is going to help you, if that is going to keep you from stumbling, slipping up, falling away, being distracted from what God's doing. If it's going to cause you to sin, I've got to be willing to, to say it, and it doesn't need to be there. It's worth it to sacrifice for the sake of someone else's holiness. Because my faith is not, it's not just my faith. It's our faith, you know. It's, it's easy to get caught up in, um, uh, I'm the apple of his eye, and he did all these things for me. And it's, it's easy to limit, like just become very self-absorbed in our understanding of God. But, and that, those things are all true, but it's not, it's you and it's us at the same time somehow. So it's not my, just my faith, it's our faith. And, and it's not for my sake only, it's also for our sake, and it's for their sake, whoever they may be. They could be the, those who don't know him, those who are far away from him, it could be, however you want to think of it, it is like, we cannot be self-absorbed. And so he is in this whole passage trying to take a very self-absorbed group of young men and set them right side up. And now here we are these years later having the same words coming our way. And so if I am careless with my life, that will absolutely impact other people. And not because like I'm a pastor and all that kind of stuff. Like as a Christian, if I am careless with my life, it will impact others. And so what Jesus is doing is he's redefining community in a way that will, it will require us to think beyond ourselves. He's looking at these 12, he's saying, you, you have to think beyond yourself. And we fall under the same thing. So why in the world, um, why would I ever be careless, you know? You ever just like, just kind of been like living your life and then you, and you kind of have one of those realizations of like, man, I, I've just kind of been, I've been a jerk lately or I've been, I was really rough on that person or um, I shouldn't have handled this this way, or I've been caught in this pattern uh, of sin, and I've been, you know, you just kind of in the, one of those moments, and you realize that the reason why you're careless is because you haven't dealt with your own stuff, like there's something internal. And I think that's probably why when Mark put this together, 42 is Jesus talking about others, and then immediately it becomes very personal. So look at, look at 43. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. What is he he telling them? 
I, I kind of like to think that Jesus, he's got his captive audience, and I like to think he's like pointing at him the whole time. He says, you don't, like, your carelessness is going to impact other people, and it isn't their fault. We're not here to blame other people for our own slip-ups. What happens is when, when you are being careless, it's because you've got to deal with your own stuff. And so all of that others, like others first things of like it's worth it to sacrifice for someone else's holiness, that actually begins with a different kind of understanding that it's worth it to sacrifice for the sake of my own holiness. Yet we have to think there first. So if you want to sacrifice for the sake of your kids' holiness, moms and dads, you know where it starts? You've got to sacrifice for the sake of your own holiness. You want to sacrifice for the sake of your family, your friends? I mean, I could go on and on and on. I could just, I'll say the same thing over and over again. If you want to sacrifice for the sake of someone else's holiness, if you're amening that and you're grabbing on to that, you're like, absolutely, it starts with your own process and dealing with your own stuff. So the question becomes, are, are you willing to cut stuff out of your life? You know, Are you willing to, to live without it so that you can walk in holiness and so that your influence uh, will also be holy on those people around you? Think of it in, in this way. He's, he's referencing salt at the end. If salt is a preservative and it's connected with sacrifice, you push those together, what I'm essentially saying is, the things in my life that are causing me to stumble that I have to cut out for my own holiness and for other people's holiness, um, it is a sacrifice, yes. It is a preservative that, that I think, it, maybe I'm reaching here, but God will still preserve my life without that thing in it. I can, I can live without this and I'll be perfectly fine. Like he is salting my life. He is preserving my life. Uh, he's refining my life, and I think all those things all fit together. Let me, let me give you a couple of examples that I thought of um, that just came to mind when uh, the first one, there's a movie that, a movie franchise for several years. I won't say the name of it for the sake of the parents in the room, but the star of the movie is Johnny Knoxville. And it's a series of movies about a group of guys who are just doing doing a bunch of like Stunts, let's call them, but they're just just kind of being, you know, whatever. And uh, they would just film it, and then it just became this big, big deal, and they became, you know, celebrities and all that stuff. And a lot of these stunts were very dangerous and just really foolish. And so Miller Brewing Company became a sponsor of this movie, and would have lots of alcohol on set, so that they could get good and inebriated, so that they would do these things. And it just kind of became part of the culture. For, that's the first movie, second movie. After, between the second movie and the third movie, one of the stars, named Steve, uh, Steve O something, he, um, he realized that he was addicted and began to address his substance abuse issues. And so he went into rehab and got, got clean and began a, like, a recovery uh, in, a, in, in sobriety and Whenever it came time to do the third movie, his castmates got together and decided that they would tell Miller Brewing Company they didn't need them to sponsor this movie and to keep the alcohol away. They banned alcohol on set for everything and went with a completely dry uh, filming process because they wanted to stand in solidarity with their friend Steve-O in his recovery. 
Now, to me, they may not realize they were doing exactly what Jesus tells us to do. I think that's an example of what he's talking about. It was worth it to them to sacrifice alcohol on set for the holiness, sobriety, whatever you want to say, of their vulnerable friend, Steve-O. That is incredibly beautiful to me. It's not something that you, you see a whole lot out there in, in the world. And it made big news. Like it was like a big, a big thing. Are you willing to cut something out of your life for the sake of someone else? Um, another example that, that's closer to home, um, we've, been, uh, we've been doing a beach trip for years with our college students. As soon as finals are done in the spring, go to the beach for a few days, just spend time decompressing, relaxing, uh, processing the year, being together before summer happens, everyone scatters out. You know, ra- raise your hand if you're a beach trip alum. On beach trip alums, yeah, all right. So, for several years now, I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, really sure when. Our uh, the young women on the trip would intentionally choose modesty. Um. Not so much like on the beach, like you know, you're on the beach or whatever, but like coming and going when you're hanging around the beach house playing cards and all that kind of stuff. They would choose to like cover up or change clothes or, or whatever. And it's not because they were worried that one of their brothers would stumble and it would be their fault, you know? Because that whole, that whole myth has been perpetuated so much of like, oh, it's, it's women's fault, you know, all that kind of stuff. And this is much garbage. And so uh, that's not why they did it. They've done that for years because uh, if I could sum up the, the attitude is what a simple way for me to serve my brothers in Christ. I can cut that out of my life. I can, I can, I can like, or I can build in this discipline, right? You know, I can sacrifice some of those things for their sake. What a simple way to just consider the needs of others ahead of, of myself. What a, what a beautiful thing. And so I champion that attitude. Like it's just incredible. One more that came to mind. Um, there have been like quite a few men over the years who have realized that they came to a point where their laptops were getting them in trouble, you know. And uh, so they would build in some, like, accountability software, you know. They would, there's an app that you can get, and it, like, filters things. And, and you, you, have, you put in uh, specific people who get emailed an update on everything that you looked at and all that. And it's, a, it's not a, like, tattletale program. It's, like, we want to walk with you through this. And so over the years, I've, I've been one of those names on that list and you have these men who have realized this, this is destroying me. I, I can cut this out of my life for the sake of my holiness and for the sake of my wife, family, however you want to look at it. And I will sacrifice not only that, like all that comes with that, but also sacrifice little things like, like privacy, you know, saying, you know, what? it's, it's worth it. It's worth it for these guys to get an email that has my internet history on there. It's worth it to sacrifice some of that privacy. Maybe it's a little embarrassing at times. I, I kind of but it's worth it to cut that out of my life and to take these steps for my own holiness and for the holiness of others. So I think that these are, these are some of the things he's talking about because 
this describes what, what the new community looks like. What the newly defined community of the people of God looks like is it's I'm, I'm, I'm going to put holiness as a priority. And if I, want to, if I want your holiness, it begins with my own holiness and all wraps up together. And so it's worth it to sacrifice for the sake of holiness. For others' holiness, for my holiness, is all worth it. Is absolutely worth it. I think that's what he's telling us. It would be better for you to go through your life without these things than to go through your life with those things and you stumbling and making everybody else stumble too. That's not who I've called you to be. That's not why I'm going to go die on a cross. I'm not freeing you to live that kind of life. I'm freeing you to live this kind of life. In order to do this, we have to deal with our own stuff, don't we? Like, you, you have to look in the mirror. You have to look at your life and say, what, what's messing with me? What's distracting me? What, what's going on? What can, can I cut out? What steps can I take to get those obstacles out of the way? And then you get to a point where like, that impacts other people. So that's the first thing is you have to deal with your stuff. The second thing is we have to know each other's stuff a little bit. That's why that's like one of on all the list of reasons like why do we do community groups? Why do we why are we constantly breaking into smaller groups and ministry teams and like why are we trying to always be interpersonal? Like why do I gotta be all in my business? Why does why is the membership covenant so like personal? And it's like because of this. If I don't know your stuff, then I, I like I can't be trying to figure out how can I cut things out for your sake. So the more you know what I'm going through and I know what you're going through and the more that's happening in smaller groups, there are people who know what's going on with you that you can share. And then you can figure out what to cut out of my life for my sake and what can I cut out for your sake? In what ways do I need to be like, like those men who put the, that uh, accountability software in their computer? In what ways can I be like those college-age girls who consider the needs of their brothers in Christ ahead of their own? In what ways can I be like the cast of that movie who's looking at Steve-O and saying, how can we stand with him? I got to take care of my stuff and we got to know each other enough to, to like have the opportunity to shape those things. Here's the last thing. Look at verse 50. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how can we make it salty again? <laughs> Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Basically, salt is only good if it's effective. And life in community is only, it's only like good if it's effective. We can't be huddled up in groups, always putting on a happy face, acting like we have no problems. We, there's, there's too much of that going on. That's not being an effective community. Live at peace. Have salt in yourselves. Live with peace with one another. Have sacrifice within yourself that God's preserving your life. And live in in unity and oneness with one another. This is what community is supposed to be about. So at the end of the day, are you willing to cut things out of your life? Are you willing to cut out the things that are making you stumble? Just plain and simple. This is not a behavior modification sermon. This is not about like keeping the rules. This is about us looking in the mirror and, and, and saying, what, 
how can I walk more in the fullness of what Jesus has done for me? So are you willing to do that? Will you do that for your siblings in Christ? Will you do that for yourself? Will you do it for your Lord? Here's my last my last point. You know, Jesus he's he's always modeling what he is teaching. You know, we always see that. Two passages two scriptures really quickly that show him cutting things out of his life for the sake of holiness. For his own holiness, Hebrews 4.15 says this, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus had things coming his way constantly, and he was cutting them out. He was sacrificing saying, I will not do that, I will not say that, I will not think that, I will not feel that, I will not receive that. I won't. He's cutting all these things, denying himself, taking up his cross, and following obediently. He did this over and over and over again for his own holiness. So that what, what, what happens from that holiness? Ephesians 5, it's a passage about marriage, but it's really about him. It says, 525, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Sacrificed himself for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be what? That she might be... There you go, that's a little better. One more time. That she might be what? Without blemish, he did. The, he did it. This is this is the new community of God. It is a hard passage. It is as he's speaking to them. They would have heard a lot more of this naturally and culturally than we did, than we do. But I love the fact that he's basically just telling them it's worth it. Holiness is worth it. How that applies to you that. You might, you might know already. You might not know now. Maybe that's a matter of contemplation. Um, we're going to do what we normally do at this point in the service. And if you're here for the first time, I, wanna, um, I just want to explain it really quickly. Um, because things like this have a very personal landing spot, uh, di- people process things different ways. And so you can come and you can kneel and pray at these steps. If, if you stay where you are and pray, of course. If you want to come and kneel and pray, you can do that. There's be some of our uh, ministers and uh, pastors in the front row would love to talk with you and pray with you. Um, we're going to sing. Sometimes that's like just this really healthy thing in this. And um, we'll have two communion lines. And you're welcome in our communion line. You don't have to be a member of this church. Uh, and this is the kind of communion where you, you take the bread and you dip it in the in the juice and you take it and they're going to say the the body of Christ broken for you the blood of Christ poured out for you and both of those things both of those things were for his holiness so that he could make you holy and as person after person goes we're reminded that our faith is not just about us about us as individuals it's a it's an us thing it's a we thing and so wherever this lands for you uh, where, what better place to turn to than the, the one who, who got it right every time? 
And so I'm going to pray for us. We'll sing a little bit more um, to wrap up. Let's, let's stand together. Jesus, I, I'm so thankful that uh, thankful that you, you, you just know how to communicate with us. And sometimes we need these extreme examples to stop and really process what you're saying and ask questions. And I'm so thankful for scholars and uh, there's really smart people who have picked this apart and have, can help us understand it. And at the end of it, you're really just... you're asking us to stand in front of a mirror, you know, and really look at our lives and, and ask ourselves that question. Are, are you willing to do this? And if the answer is yes, we, we just need you to show us what to cut out and what the steps look like and who to share. There's so much there, but we really just want to begin with this big picture understanding that, um, just the the beauty of what you have called us to, that you're inviting us in this new way of life, this new definition of community, where we put one another ahead of ourselves and we put you ahead of all. And so as we sing and pray and receive communion and uh, just respond to what you're stirring in us, I pray that you would just uh, be lifted high in these moments and that, that we would feel the freedom to say yes to you and not be afraid of what cutting stuff out might look like or what that would require to trust that you're going to preserve us. We love you. We give these moments to you and pray this in your name. Amen. All right, our communion stations are open. You can come uh, whenever you're ready.